How are we doing? Y'all, I had so much time this morning. Y'all ready? I went to Walmart. First thing this morning. It felt weird. Um, we can run down. I'm not going to even attempt to list every single name that made this possible this morning, but we had just, it's like a fire ant hill. You kick it and all the ants go everywhere. Uh, the moment we signed the papers to purchase this property, uh, the fire ant hill was kicked, and we had hundreds of volunteers showing up, uh, just taking it, running it, painting it, building it, destroying it, whatever it took, they were here. And uh, so I want to just say personally to every person, though I can't call you by name again, the list is so long. Thank you so much for your sacrifice. Thank you for this week. Thank you for, uh, I think my favorite was not just getting this building ready. It was just being with my people um, and learning um, and them understanding I'm not a construction person. Uh, I spent more time going and picking things up and bringing things back. That was my spiritual gift. Um, I guess that's why my last name is Foreman. It fits perfectly <laughs> fine. So um, I thought it was unique because this morning I woke up, it's raining, thinking about people having to come. We, these are issues, you know, new issues you, know, you don't really think about. And um, our kids having to walk out to the elementary area. Um, we probably needed umbrellas. And that's why I ended up at Walmart. And then God reminded me on the way to Walmart, hey, this is perfect, Rob, because your day you're going to be preaching on the word grace. Grace. Um, we have been in this series talking about what, whatever it takes. What is it, whatever it takes for us to fully surrender to who Jesus is to truly buy in to what his words say, because I, I believe, I'm a red-letter Christian. I believe everything that Jesus said is true. And I believe that if we apply those things to our lives, life will work the way that it's supposed to with him. And we, what, what does it take for us to fully surrender and buy in to Jesus and what he said? Because I believe that when we do, we can have faith that moves mountains. I believe that, that people can be healed through our prayers because if Jesus said it was possible, guess what? It's possible. It's possible. But sometimes we talk about quenching the Spirit. And it's more than just quenching the Spirit by, by speaking out against the Spirit. Sometimes quenching the Spirit is simply not being obedient to what Jesus has already called you to do. How many moves of God have we shut down out of our disobedience? How many times has God wanted to use us in our lives, but we shut it down through simple acts of disobedience? So we, we want to look at over these next couple of weeks is what is it going to take for us to fully buy in and say, listen, I am all in, God, whatever you want me to do. Uh, that word in, in the Greek is called pistuo. It's a belief that, hey, I'm, I'm holding nothing back. My hands are free, whatever you want me to do. And one of the things that we talk about today is if we want to live this whatever it takes life to really follow Jesus and take him at his word, you have to have the concept of grace. Grace is the very thing that we love to receive. Am I right? We all want some grace. But it's the hardest thing to give back. Because there's personal stuff attached to it, right? Today we're going to be in Luke chapter 19. We're going to be talking about a guy that's probably very familiar to you. His name is Zacchaeus. And the Bible starts out in this in verse 1 of chapter 19. It says that Jesus entered into the town of Jericho. He made his way through the town. And there was a man there named Zacchaeus. Now, Zacchaeus was the chief tax collector in that region, and he had become very, very rich. Let me tell you a little something about Zacchaeus. Yes, he's a tax collector, uh, but Zacchaeus is a stingy, corrupt tax collector. 
um, in the area of Jericho. He is ripping people off left and right. He is the modern-day IRS, right? You know those guys? Uh, the ones that, I know y'all send Christmas cards to the IRS people, right? Y'all, y'all love them. Um, he is the modern-day IRS. He's not very respected in this time period in, in central uh, in, in the first century Israel, he's, he's just not respected because, see, here's the thing about Zacchaeus. He's working for the Roman government, but he's Jewish. That's a problem because the Jewish people are being oppressed by the Romans. And now here we go. We have Zacchaeus who is working for the enemy, so to speak, but he's getting a little bit off the side because when the Romans would take over a city, as they did with Jericho, they would want to put someone in place who knew the people because they were notorious for hiding the money because they didn't want people to know what they had. So if you can hire a local to work for the Roman government and give them a little bit on the side, then they would begin to talk a little bit. You know, we call them in today's society a snitch. They're going to tell everything of, where, hey, no, this person told you they had $100,000. I promise you they got $2 million sitting underneath the bed and buried. And so... The, the, they, they would put these Roman officials, would put them in, in place to collect the taxes. And in those days when people would cheat on their taxes, oh my goodness, people cheating on their taxes. I'm glad we don't do that today. And so the Romans would take these natives and they would tell them, hey, if you will just tell us how much they really have and go tax them. This is what Rome says that they owe us. But anything you get beyond what they owe is yours to keep. So, in other words, you may get a tax bill from the Roman, uh, from, from, from the Roman government that says that, hey, you owe $50,000 in taxes, okay? Zacchaeus is going to come to collect that $50,000, but here's the thing. Anything over $50,000, he gets to keep. Y'all see the problem? So, here's what Zacchaeus would do. He would go knock on the door and say, hey, you owe $50,000 to the Roman government, and you owe an additional $50,000 to me. And they would go, well, we don't have $100,000 to be paying you, Zacchaeus. He'd say, that's no problem. I'm just going to take whatever you have. They would take their homes. They would take everything from them. And so this is how Zacchaeus would go about in the Jewish community as a Jewish man working for the enemy, really oppressing and ripping his people off. He is not invited to the parties. Okay, He's not going to Thanksgiving. He's not going to Christmas dinner. He is not invited. I want you to see how much of an enemy this guy is. Because listen, he's not just a tax collector. There was a key word there. He was a chief tax collector. Think pyramid scheme. This guy is at the top of the pyramid, and he's hired other people to work for him. He basically does nothing. They make money for him. You got it? And so not the kind of person that you would, you would want to be around. And so if they couldn't pay these tax bills, they would take their things. They would beat them. Sometimes it would even kill them. Whatever it would take, there was a fear that was done. There was a fear that was put into place. Tax collectors in those days were just absolutely awful people. As a matter of fact, the, the Jewish misness, the oral um, writings of the Jewish people, it says that a tax collector was so awful that they should not even be considered a human that the Jewish people said it is not a sin to lie to those people because they're not even humans, they're just animals. They found a way to justify the whole belief system. And so this is what a Pharisee had to say about the tax collector in Luke chapter 18. He said, the Pharisee stood by himself and he prayed this prayer. He said, I thank God that I am not like the other people. 
I'm not like cheaters and sinners and adulterers, and I'm certainly not like the tax collector. Now, do you think these guys are very loved in their community? If you think the Jewish people hated the Romans because of everything the Romans had done to them, they really hated the people that were Jewish that worked for the Romans. I mean, you would have, uh, on a scale, you, you would have the tax collectors that they hated, and then you would have, uh, they would say, dogs. And what they would say is that dogs were better than the tax collectors and the Pharisees. We will treat our dogs better than we treat those two people. Love God, love people, accept tax collectors and Pharisees. Okay, that's kind of where they were. So Zacchaeus being this chief tax collector, he's running the show. Look at what verse 3 says. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short. Anybody have that problem? Okay. He was too short, vertically challenged, so to speak. He was too short to see over the crowd, so he ran ahead. He climbs a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass by. We, somehow he knew. We don't know how he knew, but somehow he knew that Jesus was going to come walking by, and he needed to see because he's the chief tax collector. So when someone of Jesus' stature is going to come into Jericho, then certainly he's going to come and he's going to spend time with the, the most powerful person in all of Jericho. So he's like, I didn't, I didn't hear. Somebody forgot to give me the invitation to let me know he was coming so I could, I could bring him in and smooth him a little bit and treat him right. And so he would think that I was somebody. And he misses that memo and, and he climbs up in the tree. Now Jesus is traveling on a Jericho road. It's a 17-mile road from Jericho. It goes directly in to Jerusalem. All right. When, when we read down through chapter 19, what we're going to get to in a few verses is Jesus is going to, what, he, what he's doing, reason he's walking through Jericho, he's on his way to Israel. He's on his way to Israel because he's about to do something that we call the triumphal entry. This is the last time that he's going to walk this road. They, they actually called this road, it's known as the way of blood because it was a very violent road. It, it's got a drop. So the 17 miles, if you decided to walk the 17 miles from Jericho all the way down, you're going to drop 3,600 feet to get into Israel. I mean, it's because you climb up and you go down. And, and then you you like out of breath because you went down. When you get to the city of Jerusalem, to the old city, you got to walk back up a hill to get in. That's why David said, who can ascend the hill of the Lord except he who has clean hands and pure heart? It was talking physically. You look up to the city. And so here we go. He climbs a tree and he's getting a front row picturesque view of Jesus. And by the way, if you go to Israel today, they'll take you to Jericho and they'll point at a sycamore tree and tell you that was the one. Okay? Only cost you $4,500 for them to point out a random tree and tell you this is the one. I'm sure it was. Not giving you a tip. And so, so people, people did not mind. They were standing in front of him. So he climbs in this tree and he can't see over it. And I want you to notice that the Bible gives us these de details about I think it's very important. It gives us this detail about Zacchaeus and telling us that he was short. It doesn't, it, I mean, you read that about anybody else, about their stature or anything. Very few times do we see that. And I think that's important because they hate the tax collector. And so Zacchaeus has to make do by climbing a tree. They were keeping the sinner from seeing the Savior. Let me ask you a question. How many times have you done that? How many times have you kept the person that, if you could just have your way and you could pay them back and you could just let them have it, 
And what they really need is not your words. What they really need is Jesus. How many times have we kept them from seeing the Savior? They can't come to my church. I'll give them an address to another church, but they can't come here. They can't do that. They don't know. Jesus don't want to have anything to do with them, right? How many times have we kept sinners from seeing Jesus? And so he had to climb a tree to get above the followers of Jesus because they weren't going to let him close. And so he climbs, and it says in verse 5, when Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus, and listen to this. He called Zacchaeus by name. By name. Nobody's talked to Zacchaeus. Nobody likes Zacchaeus. But here comes this guy in the town. Huge following. I'm sure he has heard the stories. I'm sure he has heard that, hey, he walked on water, and he turned water into wine, and he healed some people, and he cast some demons one time, and there's some pigs that flew over a cliff. And he had heard this, and he calls him by name. And he says, Zacchaeus. Now, we would think, like with Zacchaeus being in the tree, hearing his name, that he would be like, oh, whoa. But I want you to think about the people on the ground that caused him to have to get in the tree. They're going, why is he calling out Zacchaeus? I've been going to the temple. I go to Passover. I do all these things that I'm supposed to do. And Jesus isn't calling my name. And look what he says. He says, Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. Some people would say the reason that sycamore trees have no bark on them is because Zacchaeus came down so fast. <laughs> he said, I must be a guest in your home today. Whoa. The Savior of the world calls him by name. Everybody else has pushed him upwards into a tree. And Jesus calls him by name and respectfully invites himself over to his home. Let me tell you what happens to all the people on the ground. At this moment, they're not very happy. Because for them, why would Jesus go and eat with this scum? He's an awful person. Why would he do this? You got to know Jericho is one of the most powerful cities in Israel in the first century. And here comes the most well-known person in all of Israel. Even people that didn't like him knew who he was. His, his reputation and the things that he did went before him. And Jesus does not meet, uh, ask him to, he didn't want to meet with the ruler of Jericho. He didn't want to meet with the religious leaders because the, the Pharisees were probably standing there ready to meet with him as well. And none of those people are lining up. Jesus is not lining up to meet with them. And he tells Zacchaeus that he's going to be staying at his home. He invites himself to the house of the most despised, the most wicked, the most unpopular man in the entire city. And this comes as a shock to Zacchaeus. So much that he comes down the tree quickly, just in case he changes his mind. And he says in verse 6, Zacchaeus quickly climbed down, and he took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. Because you would too. This guy came to see me. But the people were displeased. You can't always please church people, by the way. These people were displeased. Listen, this is why they were displeased. The sinner that they're keeping from the Savior, they're now complaining about it. Like, if you want this guy to change and stop cheating you, you should probably let him go talk to Jesus because he'll handle it. I'm pretty sure that guy that controlled the winds and the waves could probably cause his heart to be in a different rhythm. And he says he's going to be with the guest of a notorious sinner, and they begin to complain. And that day to actually eat with a sinner was to show that you actually accepted the sinner. And to get to their house 
and to share a meal with them was a sign of very intimate fellowship. When you invite someone into your home and you would eat with them, that was a very intimate fellowship that I agree with you and, and, and I support you. And it meant that you were accepting them and that you were committing yourself to a loving relationship with them, that this is a friendship that we're going to care for each other, take care of one another. And Jesus is extending this invitation to Zacchaeus before Zacchaeus cleans up his life. Before. And this made the Pharisees furious. And they were saying, he's eating with a notorious sinner. Does he even realize who this man is? I would tell you this. Jesus did know who he was because Jesus is a friend of sinners. That's good news, everybody. Because if he wasn't, I don't know what we're doing here. We should go build bunkers that won't work because he'll get to us there too. But he's a friend of sinners. And not just the sinners that we want him to be friends with. For God so loved the world that he gave his life for all people, everybody. And so Zacchaeus is at a little bit of a shock here. The quote-unquote church people are complaining because the Savior of the universe, the one that can change the heart, the crooked, wretched heart of Zacchaeus is dining with him. And the Pharisees are upset because Jesus is breaking all the rules. Let me tell you something. Jesus doesn't care about the theological purity of the fences that you put up. He often jumps outside of those fences into the places that we often wouldn't go to reach the people. Do you realize Jesus did not recruit anyone that would have actually have qualified to be one of the 12 disciples? They were all teenagers. We didn't even give a teenager a paintbrush for this building. <laughs> and Jesus gave them the keys to the kingdom. Trusted them. Peter? <laughs> no, I wouldn't, no. I wouldn't let Peter watch a cat. And you know how I feel about those. He's not very trustworthy. But he says that Jesus reaches beyond these things to, to find people. The Jewish people made up rules so they wouldn't break rules. There was a rule for a rule that was a rule because of this rule. It got really confusing. They make up rules because rules are much easier to deal with than grace. Much easier to deal with than grace. Rules aren't just proof of our sinfulness. Rules remind us of our propensity towards sin. That we, we have a propensity to do what is wrong. Right? Like, I use it all the time because it's true. And it's the push point from my life that when I'm driving on I-26 going into Ashley Phosphate Road, God, God puts me to the test every time. Right? He's not tempting me, but he's testing me. Because it's a lot easier to give people things other than grace when you're trying to get somewhere. Because we have a propensity towards sin. We have a propensity to not always do what's right, to tell that little lie, to take that one little look in the search engine on Google to lead us to a place that we shouldn't be, to dress this one little way just to be a little provocative. Rules are just proof of the sinfulness. And you know, Jesus is the source of grace. And I don't know that we fully have grasped his grace. Jesus is grace, and grace is Jesus. Our greatest efforts, the best laid out plans that we can ever have, will not accomplish in a lifetime what God's grace can do for us in a moment. 
and we're living proof. I can go around this room and start pointing people out of their stories. And you would say, I'm only here because of God's grace. This, this shouldn't have happened. I, I should have been in jail. I, sh I should have died of an overdose. I, I would have been separated from my, my spouse. I had strong addictions. But it was because Jesus met me where I was. He didn't expect me to come in having all these things put together. Why do we put harder expectations on people who do not know Jesus? When I was a youth minister, that was, that was fun times. When I was a youth pastor, we would have kids come, and, and they, were, they were awful kids. Like, and I mean awful in a good way, like, well, probably not in a good way because it was awful, so that didn't make any sense. But we'd have kids come who, who came from hard backgrounds. Like they, they knew a couple of extra words in their vocabulary that would just kind of come out. And church people would be like, we can't have, those kids can't be doing this stuff. I agree. But hey, can we just celebrate the fact that we got them to walk in the doors of the church first? Like, why don't we let Jesus change them? Why don't we just disciple them, love them, meet them where we are? Not excusing the behavior, but teach them. Because didn't Jesus say, go make disciples, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded? Let me tell you something. Teaching takes relationship. And sometimes we put so much expectation on sinners. I've just, I've just come to the point that why are we judging non-Christians for living a non-Christian life? They're just doing what non-Christian people do. Non-Christian things. What I will judge is Christians doing non-Christian things that they know good and well they should not be doing. This is Zacchaeus. His grace God's grace is the reason that we're even here today. Because he met us where we were. He met us exactly where we were. This is why here in this church we care about lost people. This is why we minister to people. Even the mean ones. Even lady at Walmart this morning that had the worker who had to mute her phone call that she was on to tell me what something was. Umbrellas are in aisle six, C4, by the way, C4. Jesus was different. Jesus didn't wink at sin. Jesus didn't write sinners off either. Jesus offered faith. He offered hope. He offered love. That's why time after time, the Bible, we find these hardcore sinners seated around the table with Jesus, just relaxing. They spend hours listening, asking questions. They would laugh with him. They would cry with him. They were captivated by the compassion and the invitation of Jesus. They were riveted by all these practical explanations that he would give of how to do life. And Jesus let them belong long before they believed. Together, church is a place that you can belong before you have to believe. We're okay with that. Bring your mess. We will get in the mess with you, and we will help with the power of the Holy Spirit and Jesus to get you out of your mess and point you to where you need to be with him. Jesus is teaching Zacchaeus something here. He, every other religion in the world says, change, clean up, and God will accept you. The gospel reverses that. The gospel says God has offered acceptance to you in light of that invitation, then you change. It's the craziest thing for a fisherman to clean fish and then try to catch them. We catch and then clean. God's acceptance isn't having some type of reward. It's not legalism because I did all these things that God loves me. 
It's the power to actually clean up because of him. We see this in verse 8 when it says, Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and he said, I, I will give half my wealth to the poor. Now, that's a lot of money because remember what he did. He says, I'll give half of my wealth to the poor. Lord, if, I, if I've cheated people on their taxes. See, he wasn't fully Christian right there. Like, if, if I cheated people. Uh, Zacchaeus, just come on, tell yourself the truth. You did. I'll give them back four times as much as I took for them. Jesus responded, salvation has truly come in this home today. Like you've been rescued. You've been saved. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the son of man has come to seek and to save those who are lost. Jesus said, salvation has come to this house. Religion, religion always points outward and says, Zacchaeus, go do that and then you'll obtain salvation. Go do these things, you'll attain. Go have perfect attendance in Sunday school, attend your small group, give such amount of money, serve so many hours in the church. If you do these things, you can get salvation. Well, that's not what Jesus says. He doesn't say that. Jesus' gospel is Zacchaeus. Salvation is in this house today. It walked in freely. And it's a gift. And in response to that, you'll change. You'll change. Because here's the thing. Nobody truly walks into the presence of Jesus and walks out unchanged. You can't. Greatest preacher to ever live. How many funerals did Jesus preach? I'll wait. Mm, he didn't. He just raised him from the dead. What a great way to do ministry. Hey, can you do this funeral? Uh, no, I got a tea time. Here, just boom. There you go. You're healed. You're good. He says you'll change. Verse 8 tells us that Zacchaeus gave half of his wealth to the poor. He, he paid back four times all the people that he had cheated on their taxes. Jericho was a big town. That was a lot of people. The Levitical law actually said that if you stole from someone and you got caught, when you say that he got caught, then you were supposed to repay them and add 20% to that. Only one situation where, uh, which you'd repay back four times, um, if you stole somebody's cow, you could not do that. That law did not apply. <clears throat> it would lead you into utter financial ruin if you did. <laughs> Y'all, grace. <laughs> but Zacchaeus didn't give him this money back because he has to. He's giving this back because he wants to. He wants to. Listen to me. There's nothing in the Bible about giving away 50%. That's his choice. In fact, there's nowhere in this story. Did you see anywhere in this story where Jesus says you need to get rid of everything you have? Did he tell him you have to pay back people, you got to do these things? He didn't tell him anything. But because Zacchaeus had experienced grace of getting something that he did not deserve, at some point you've got to learn to accept grace. You didn't do anything for it. It is a gift that was freely given. Now you can decide to accept said gift of grace or you can push grace away. But it is a gift that is given. And when you experience the grace of God, things change. It changes. Because you will start doing things that is outside of what you would normally do because now the power of the Spirit is working with you and you're walking in grace because you realize that I'm going to have more compassion for people because I realize where I was. I want to do these things not because I have to to get salvation. I'm doing them because it's my response to salvation that I got something I did not deserve. I remember going to FCA camp when I was in high school. 
They, they, this whole, all these people were talking about going to FCA camp. I didn't want to go to FCA camp, but my girlfriend then was going to FCA camp. So I thought it would probably be a really good thing to go to FCA camp. And I ended up being the only guy in all of our high school to show up to FCA camp. It was awful. <laughs> because they were far away from where the ladies were. We couldn't even sit together. And you know, I don't know about you, but if you grew up in youth group growing up, when they tell you to circle up and hold hands, that, that was the moment. <laughs> like, well, let's just see. Let's just test the waters over here with her, girl. Hey, girl, how you doing? <laughs> but I remember my counselor, we were talking about grace. And I didn't take anything else away from that weekend but this. He said, always remember grace, the acronym, because, you know, all good pastors have an acronym. Grace is just God's reward at Christ's expense. It's what he did for you. It's not yours. It's his. It's what he has given to you. We have to get a taste of grace. Because when we have grace, we begin to let go a lot more. Because we trust him. We trust him. Isn't it amazing that we trust God with our eternity, but we have a hard time trusting him in the everyday little things he asks us to do? Listen. Jesus did not care about the scandal of Zacchaeus. He cared about the scandalous. That's what he cared about. He saw Zacchaeus. I don't think it was by accident that Jesus went that way that day. I believe he cut through Jericho because of Zacchaeus. And can you imagine the stories that he heard from Jerusalem when this man that gave him salvation was crucified was dead and was buried for three days and rose again, because guess which way Jesus would have took to go back to Galilee? The Jericho Road. He would have walked right back through Jericho with nail-printed hands and feet. I have to think that he probably stopped in to say, hey, to Zacchaeus, how's it going, man? How was your week? That was pretty rough, but I'm good. Like, I'm, I'm good. Sometimes we have a hard time believing that Jesus is for us and loves us and cares for us. We look at ourselves through filters of failures. We look at ourselves through pains and, and moments that we've not exactly lined up. And how could a God like him love us? Because a father loves his children, regardless. You know with your kids, there's nothing that could ever separate your love for them. You can be disappointed in them. There can be consequences for behavior. They can be prodigal. But your love for them never changes. God's the same way. There's nothing, there's no, you can't go far enough away from him. The Bible says, I mean, how far can I go to flee from his love? I can't. He's there. I go to the, the utter depths and he's there. Because he's a good father that gives grace, that gives us things that we do not deserve. Jesus, he looks past us and our, our failures. To give us this grace but we get in such a hurry to try to be perfect to try to have it all together because we think that we can't do that i hear it all the time when like people want to volunteer in the church well, i just don't know if i can do that why go try it this is this should be a judgmental not judgmental non-judgmental place sorry probably other churches but not this one just go do it just go serve there's grace. I mean, the first thing they did this morning, they said they messed up one of the songs. I was like, okay. And? Is anybody going to hell? All right, worship team, feel better. It's fine. Nobody's going to hell. They, they put an orange cable over here. 
They don't worry about it because it's not black. It doesn't match anything else. Anybody going to hell? Y'all are a little silent on that one. <laughs> All right, we might need to change that one up. We're not perfect. When we moved from St. John's over here, one of the coolest things over here, nothing matched. There is an unmatched chair in this room right now. And it will always be here. Because that's who we are. We're not perfect. I want you to, to hear this, and, and this, I'm going to end right here. A moment with Jesus changes everything. Our men just got back off the men's retreat. They spent a few days in the pine trees of Bennettsville, South Carolina. I don't know if you've ever been there. It's a federal prison, a state prison, and a camp. They went to the camp so that they wouldn't go to the other two places later in life. They had an incredible weekend. They were talking, and, and they, a lot of the guys and talking about axe throwing and bonfires. And you know what? And I asked, like, what was your favorite thing this, outside of food? Um, they said they, they did a 90-minute uh, prayer time individually. They, they, went, they went by themselves with just their Bible and a journal, no watch, no electronic. It was their Bible, a journal, and the Holy Spirit. And many that I've talked to have said, I didn't think I could pray for 90 minutes. And they all came back and said the same thing. I've got notes full of stuff that the Spirit was just telling me and God was talking to me. Whether it was 90 minutes or 30 seconds or two seconds, a moment with Jesus changes everything. And I believe that. I believe it because I look at my life. For Zacchaeus, it was this one moment with Jesus that changed everything. He, he had to get above the hypocrisy of, of other believers. He had to get above the hypocrisy. He had to get above the hypocrisy of those who claim to be Christ followers in order to see Jesus. He's hiding in the tree. But Jesus sees him and calls him by name, already knows his path, already knows the things that he's currently doing, and he extends grace to him. It was an invitation that would forever change Zacchaeus' life. If you want to do whatever it takes as a follower of Jesus to be different, you have to, before you can give grace, you need to accept grace and understand it. Because it's the hardest thing to give. And sometimes, I'll be honest with you, it's the hardest thing to receive. When we stop measuring ourselves up against everybody else, well, I'm not like so-and-so. They seem to have it all together. Okay, well, good for so-and-so. But God didn't make two of them. He made one of them. He made one of you. You want a different path. He's doing, he's doing something different with you. I want to pray for you this morning in a couple of ways. Number one, I think that we can get so caught up in, in religion that we miss the beauty of who Jesus is and his grace and his mercy. And for some of you here this morning, you, you don't, me talking about that makes you uncomfortable because you're like, you're probably thinking, Jesus, no way, no way he would like me. No way he won't have anything to do with me. I'm here to tell you, he does. He absolutely does. And I'll tell you this too, that in just a moment of surrender and allowing him to work and gathering in this community of believers here in, at, at Together Church, I can promise you that your life will change, not because of the people and not because of this place, but because of him. 
that we will point you to him the best we can and, and walk along the journey with you. But for some of you, today is just a moment that you need to surrender your life to Christ and accept his grace. For others of you, you you've, you've been a Christian for a long time. You, you've accepted Jesus, but you've never fully accepted his grace. I think today you need to repent of that. I think you need to go before Jesus and say, hey, I repent because, God, my confession is I know that you've given me grace. I have not accepted it. And I want to be able to accept it. And I promise you in that moment of just saying that, there will be this liberty that will come over your life all of a sudden because you're trying to hold stuff. We can't do whatever it takes if we're holding in our hands and not releasing. And having grace causes us to release. So if you'll bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning, if you're in that first category saying, hey, man, I, I've never, I have never asked Jesus to save me. And this morning, I want to experience the grace that you're talking about. I just want you to pray this prayer with me. You just say, dear Jesus, save me. I accept your grace. I am a sinner. And I need you to rescue me. Thank you for saving me. And if you prayed that prayer this morning, it's not a magical prayer, but it's a confession to Jesus that in this moment, he is, he is the Holy Spirit is living within you in this moment. And your next step is to speak with someone about that. Come find me, come find someone at our welcome desk. We want to help get you connected to grow that, talk more through that. For others, we're going to sing here in just a moment. It's a song about trust. Our relationship with Jesus always starts with trust. And so we're going to sing this song, and as we do so, there's some prayers that you need to be praying. There's some confession to him of grace. Maybe there are people that you need to give grace to that you've not, but you need to experience it for the first time. I want you to, as you sing, pray that, declare this this morning. Father, I thank you so much for today. Thank you for grace. If it wasn't for grace, we would not be here. We would be hopeless. But it's because of, because of your grace and through your grace that we have hope. And I just pray today that we would experience in a way that we've never experienced it before. And I pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.